What's going on? Welcome to mattnews.biz, the live stream slash podcast where um, I talk with my friends and we're going to talk about what our opinions are, our thoughts and beliefs. Um, My thoughts, opinions and beliefs have been lovingly dubbed Matt News, hence the name mattnews.biz. Biz. So what I'm going to do is uh, today I have a a real special guest on. Um, We're going to be talking about Daniel and the uh, 70 weeks, uh, the 70 weeks of Daniel. This is an eschatology. This has a lot to do with eschatology, uh, which is the things concerning the end times. And we're going to talk. And so I'm going to go ahead and bring on Ken Mady. How's it going, my friend? Doing well, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Uh, so, Ken, uh, you have uh, three podcasts that you're doing right now. Yes. Yeah, we're going to um, actually a total of four here coming up soon. We want to have a podcast kind of for every stage of growth. But the two that we're advertising right now is uh, Bible Detox, where we kind of talk about controversial topics that uh, we want the word of God to detox the poison out of false teaching. And uh, one that's a, a little easier to digest more in a devotional format is called Bible light that, that are 15 to 20 minute episodes kind of designed for on the go to uh, listen, you know, on the way to work kind of thing. So cool. Those are the two we're advertising right now. Yeah. I know that I listen to Bible detox on the way to work. <laughs> well, see, you're, you're in a special category. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I wanted to get you on the show or on uh, as my first guest on my third retry at mattnews.biz. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so you've been on mattnews.biz before when I was just a podcast. We met at a Starbucks and we talked for a, a little while. We did. We had sirens in the background. It was great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that time we talked about hell. This uh-huh. time we're going to talk about an equally uh, controversial subject. We're going to be talking about um, eschatology, but I wanted to focus us in so we weren't so broad with eschatology and talk about Daniel uh, 70 Weeks. But first, um, if if you can kind of explain what eschatology is, if you can uh, simplify it a little bit. Sure. Um, so eschatology, as you said in the opening, is is the simply stated the study of the end times. Um, now, where that gets a little dicey is that when the Bible says in the last days, you have to ask yourself the last days of what. And mm-hmm. um, so I, I just as a uh, I, I, it's always difficult for me to know exactly where to start with this because I don't know the knowledge base of everybody listening. But um, I would I would just assume uh, that you're talking, to, you know, because I do have some non-Christians who are on my friends, you know, sure. uh, list and everything like that. Um, but I want to talk as if we're talking to Christians who have uh, heard about end times, but don't necessarily know a whole lot about it. Okay. So the way that I was raised is uh, what we would call um, dispensational eschatology, um, very specifically pre-tribulational, premillennial. And uh, if you aren't familiar with those terms, that's just kind of talking about the time period you place Christ's return. Um, And in the dispensational format, the pre-tribulational part is actually uh, what we would just call the rapture of the church. And you say, I don't know all those words. It's basically the left behind series. It's all the very popular teaching of today. If you turn on um, basically any preaching or, or popular teaching of today, 
uh, it's going to be that that style where at any moment there's going to be a trumpet that sounds a rapture where the Christians are caught away in a, a secret rapture. People aren't going to know what's going on. And it, that kicks off a, a seven-year time period that we call the tribulation period. And in that in that seven-year period, the, the popular teaching of today, the, again, the pre-tribulational uh, rapture teaching is that halfway through that seven-year period, the Antichrist will be revealed. No one knows who that is. We all speculate. And then uh, then all this terrible stuff will happen. And then at the very end of that, Christ would return for his second coming, putting his foot on the earth and setting up a thousand-year reign of his kingdom. And then at the end of that, then he would uh, abolish all sin and and we would go into eternity and new heaven, new earth. That is uh, the popular teaching of today, and that is uh, that's the teaching that I was raised on. And and I, I've been a pastor for 18 years, and that's the teaching that I taught folks that are were under my teaching for about 14, 13 or 14 of those years. Was that was the teaching? So um, pretty much all the things that we're seeing on Facebook today, on um, on social media today. Who's the Antichrist? Is this the Antichrist? When does the tribulation start? People want to say, are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? It's all assuming the framework of what we would call um, premillennial, uh, pre-tribulational, premillennial eschatology, or at least premillennial eschatology, meaning there's a seven-year period and then a thousand-year period. Um, so that framework almost everybody uses in all of the uh, debate today is basically saying, do you believe Jesus is rapturing the church at the beginning of that, middle of that, or the end of that? Right. Um, so that's the popular teaching that I was raised with, and I now don't have that belief that I wanted to be the best Bible teacher I possibly could in, in this topic, and I started looking it up, and I had questions, and I started asking professors that I had in college, hey, where where are you, you know, help me understand. I was, I, remember Matt, I would have, I would have died for this belief. So it was, yeah. I was not trying to buck the system at all. I wanted to find out how can I be the best teacher I possibly can uh, going through the book of revelation, going through first Thessalonians, going through first Corinthians and second Thessalonians. And I didn't see it. And I thought, my goodness, I have so far to go. I can't find this teaching in here anywhere of this pre-tribulational rapture. And this this thousand year reign, I just I don't understand where everybody's getting all these details from. So, um, the reason that your topic th- this evening is so important to me is that uh, in Daniel chapter nine, mm-hmm. um, your 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 viewers and listeners may be surprised to find this out, but this is absolutely the truth. The quintessential text for a seven year tribulation period at all. Mm-hmm. It's from Daniel 9 and specifically verse 27. And so as we talk through that, you'll see why I, I don't I no longer hold to that view. And I'll kind of explain my view as we go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's one thing I, I actually wanted to try and, and do is um, I know you're going to you know specifically talk about your view, um, but I wanted to try to let's just talk. You know, let's just at least try to focus on um, probably the. Um, the details and kind of let people uh, come to their own kind of conclusions, because I don't want to be that uh, that podcast that says, you know, we want to um, advocate for only one view and then have that kind of pushed on me. Sure. You know, yeah. Even even if I hold a view, mm-hmm. you know, I don't I, I don't want to push a view on on somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I wanted to talk about the details. And one of the reasons, just like you said, Daniel nine, um, that's a big portion 
of where people get their eschatological views from. You have mm-hmm. uh, Daniel and, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong or if I miss out anything, but you have uh, the that portion in Daniel nine, which is the 70 weeks. Um, and these are the ones I know about. You have uh, the Olive Discourse, which is that's a found in Matthew. Um, and then you have the, the whole book of Revelation. And those are kind of I at least I feel like whenever I hear eschatology, it's one of those you hear one of those three things quoted the most. I would say that's that's probably pretty accurate. Um, you have the three main passages in the Gospels that are the what we call the Olivet Discourse, which is a super fancy way for saying Jesus spoke from the Mount of Olives. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Much more easier way to say it. Um, Luke 21, Mark 13, and Matthew 24 are all like sister passages there. Um, I would say First uh, First Thessalonians 4 is a major one. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were uh, raised in church and, and your pastor said, I'm going to be preaching to you about the rapture, um, nine times out of ten, he was in First Thessalonians 4. Um, and then there's first Corinthians 15 and typically only the last three or four verses, um, which takes the whole thing out of context. But, but as we get deeper, we'll see that. Right. So, uh, like you were saying, I want to focus on, uh, Daniel and I want to focus on, um, you know, the, the 70 weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, but let's talk a little bit about, um, well, you, you kind of mentioned it, and it was one of my, my questions I kind of sent you. But why is um, this concept, why is Daniel so important to an eschatological view? It's, it's a great question because um, as you'll see as we go through here, that the, the concept of the, the framework of the seven-year tribulation period – no matter where you land on pre, mid, or post, the mm-hmm. concept of a seven-year period at all being called a tribulation period lies heavily, if not entirely, on the passage we're going to look at. And um, and so you say, why is that important? Well, if you want to go really, really big stuff, the world basically is is kind of – divided and, and trying to get ready for what they believe in eschatology. It's such a big deal that uh, a very popular author by the name of Hal Lindsey, who wrote a book called Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth, was actually on Ronald Reagan's foreign um, uh, uh, committee trying to understand foreign relations, specifically with Israel, because they believe Israel is going to be restored and basically have a renewed kingdom one day. And they take Genesis 12, 1 through 3, that says, basically, if we bless Israel, God's going to bless us. And so um, all of this is involved in a system that, that's referred to as futurism. Futurism, it, it, for those of your listeners and viewers who aren't sure what that means, it means that these prophecies have yet to come. They're still future for us. And um, without going into too much detail, you if you're interested in the, in the stuff that I'm saying right now, it's very important that you start looking at a guy named Francisco Ribera, who was a Jesuit priest who basically was in charge of or, or hired by the Catholic Church during the Counter-Reformation. Um, and, and he's known as the father of futurism, with, which eventually became known as dispensationalism or dispensational eschatology, specifically uh, made understood and organized by a guy named John Nelson Darby. Um, sometimes you hear, refer to it as Darbyism, and that's where dispensationalism comes from. So why is it important? Because you have most of the Christian world today 
uh, in social media, on churches, everybody's trying to figure out what's the mark of the beast. Uh, when is the tribulation period coming? Jesus is coming at any moment. Things are getting awfully bad outside. Right. Um, and these are these are ways that we actually view our whole lives based on the understanding that things are going to get worse and worse and worse. And there's going to be this car that's on fire about to go over the cliff. And at the last second, Jesus comes and and the gospel basically fails. And the world gets worse and worse, not better and better. And so um, it really determines the way you live your life. Optimistic, pessimistic, is the gospel working? Is the kingdom succeeding? When does the kingdom start? All of these questions are in view uh, with eschatology. And, and, a, and a very important part of that is in Daniel 9. Right. Yeah. Um, so hold on. I had my questions just pulled up here. I feel like a failure. All right, here we go. <laughs> By the way, Matt, what do you think? My last name's Mady. Yeah, I saw your cup when I was over at your house the other day, and I was like, <laughs> I, I wish I had a cool – I would have to just get like a glove or something. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> yeah gloves just behind you everywhere. <laughs> get it, maybe one that's sparkly on just one hand. <laughs> Been done. It works. It's popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you played not in Nintendo 64. Do you remember the game Glover? I don't. Yeah, it, you, you know. played as a, you played as a little glove and everything. <laughs> so, anyways, back to Daniel. <laughs> um, so we talked a little bit about why it was important. You talked about uh, um, specifically the tribulation, um, and you kind of laid out a little bit of a timeline. Um, mm-hmm. I want to. Uh, I guess I kind of want to do two timelines um, for this. Uh, you know, episode. Okay. Um, let's talk about. I, I kind of didn't want to go into, the, but I think it is important. But like the the full eschatological timeline. So like the the timeline of the end times. I think you mentioned a little bit of it, um, but you know, if you can go into a little bit more detail about it. Sure. Do you want me to present to you like the premillennial, like the popular premillennial timeline, the one that people are probably pretty familiar with? Um, or what I think the Bible teaches, because <laughs> those aren't the same. Let's let's just stick with what the Bible teaches, and what oh, I'll do. I love is, it, is, or, or what what we believe the Bible teaches. Oh, gotcha, and, and, and that's a good way to say it. And I want people to know that if they disagree with what I'm saying, um, it's okay. I disagreed with this for a long time, and I I really want to be careful now that I'm a little older, hopefully wiser, um, teaching the Bible. This is where I'm at right now. Um, Matt, you've heard me say this before when we've t- looked at the Bible in my house, but if, yeah. if I were, if I were in a, in a court of law and my life was on the line and somebody said, you need to pick one to defend, but you can only use the Bible. I would defend an eschatological position that we refer to as post-millennialism. Mm-hmm. It basically was the majority view, um, of almost everybody across the board up until about 150 years ago when dispensationalism started to really become popular. Right. Um, so the basic tenets of post-millennialism is that the majority of the prophecies in the Bible, Jesus says in Matthew 24, after a long listing of things that he lists, he says in verse 34, that those will all be fulfilled in this generation. And so the teaching is that those are actually being fulfilled when Rome destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. And we're going to see that in, in Daniel 9 also. So in uh, 70 AD, a big thing happened. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, and it was the end of the Judaic age, or the biblical word in, in Greek is eon. Um, sometimes people say aeon. Uh, the Judaic age ended when the temple was destroyed. The Christ age began 
uh, when Christ ascended. And in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, when the Spirit was given to all men and his law was written in their hearts, the Christ age begins. So there's a 40-year overlap between 30 AD and 70 AD, this 40 years of warning that this this is coming. And so I would place all of those warning passages exactly where I believe Christ says within this generation. Um, and that would be Rome's total destruction of, of the uh, Judaic age in Israel. So I think that that's defensible exegetically. Mm-hmm. Um, I really don't have anybody that's willing to go you know, kind of verse by verse with me. And I have people say, well, I disagree with you. Right. But I don't really have anybody that would say, hey, let's take it verse by verse and go slow, because I, I think that exegetically the position of postmillennialism is is so strong at this point of my study. So basically, Matthew 24 is predicting. So all of those sun goes dark, moon doesn't give its light, stars fall from heaven mm-hmm. is all what we call prophetic language. And we should not be interpreting the Bible depending on what CNN or Fox has to say. We shouldn't be looking at a peace treaty on MSNBC or see what Benjamin Netanyahu is saying. You should be interpreting the book of Revelation by going to the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So going all the way through the Bible, get all the way through the Bible and start. Look, You want to know what the mark of the beast is? Take the word mark, start at the beginning and read all the way through. Understand what the original readers would have thought at the time. It's called reader relevance. What relevance would this have? To the original readers. And so um, that's how I've learned to read the Bible. I don't need to have an outside or external um, uh, system to read and somebody say, hey, every time you see this, it means this. You know, Matt, the question I always have for people is if you were to read the Bible by yourself for the you know, first time, it's new to you, in a million years, would you ever come up with this conclusion? And the answer for dispensationalism is no. And I taught it for 13 or 14 years behind the pulpit. It's it's not in there. You have to have somebody show you that it's there. Um, so postmillennialism is the belief that the majority of the prophecies Jesus gave were fulfilled in 70 AD with the destruction of the temple, just as Jesus said within that generation. His kingdom was established at his resurrection, and he will sit on the throne of heaven until something, until his enemies become his footstool. And gradually the world is getting better, and the kingdom is actually growing. Uh, it started with 11 people two, uh, 2,000 years ago, and today there's 2.3 billion uh, people on the earth that profess that Jesus is, is king. And so the teaching is that Jesus is actually king of the universe. So I think about that, Matt. I'm getting in trouble for my pastor friends because I'm saying I believe Jesus is king. That's the heretical position I'm taking. Um, and so I believe that Jesus will come again at, at his second coming. And this at this point, it is called the last day or, or at the last day. Remember, Martha lost her brother Lazarus. She's talking to Jesus. And uh, Jesus comforts her and says, you're going to see your brother again. Remember, and he, and, she, and he says, Martha responds and says, I know I'm going to see him again at the resurrection at the mm-hmm. last day. And so this is a extremely clear teaching uh, in Bible that uh, it's at the last day of the resurrection. So the belief is that Jesus returns at the end of the kingdom when the world has become evangelized. Jesus says, that the gospel of the kingdom is like leaven that gets that's, that goes slowly through the loaf of bread. Like you put leaven, it's a process. This is a process kingdom. And uh, Jesus will return when the, when the kingdom is, when the world is evangelized. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he delivers up the kingdom to the Father at his coming, at the resurrection of the dead. It's the same time period. So the post-millennial eschatology is extremely, extremely simple. 
Um, and so the other one is extremely complex. I can teach the other one, but I will tell you, it never really made sense to me because there's question marks. So uh, when you say things like, you know, uh, my position teaches that Jesus is king and I'm getting in trouble for that, because uh, if I were to ask a dispensationalist, and I'm sure when you were a dispensationalist, you would have said, you know, that you would have affirmed that Jesus is king, you know, um, do, do you think that you would have done that? Like if somebody, if somebody would have come up to you as a dispensationalist and said, hey, do you believe that Jesus is king? I know that when if I were to go to most people who hold the dispensationalist view without knowing that they're actually dispensationalists, they would probably say, well, yeah, absolutely. I believe it. Yeah. So there's a semantic range with everything. There is, semantics are really, you know, a sticking point here. So you have to define terms. Right. Um, just like if I tell people, if I say Jesus died uh, for the sins of the world and they say, amen, that's true. And I say, no, I actually mean Jesus died as in he wasn't alive, and if the father didn't resurrect him, he'd still be dead. They go, well, wait a second. His soul was still alive. His spirit was still alive. I say, well, I, I don't I don't agree. I think that he actually was all the way dead. The Bible teaches mm -hmm. he was dead. And they so they would agree with me that he was dead, but we are saying two very different things. Right. Um, and that's so, a that's a whole other that's a whole other subject. Yeah, that just, we, we, just we, as we, an we example. Have, just yeah, as right. an example. Uh, right. so when I say when I say um um, that I believe Jesus is king as a dispensationalist, I would have taken that to mean that he is on a throne somewhere, but that he's not in charge of the world right now, which if you think about it really doesn't make sense. So um, I don't know that I would be willing to say the word Satan is king, but essentially that is the teaching that Satan is in charge of this world and everybody is, is uh, bound to him. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think that if you were to press a dispensationalist on it and say, is Jesus king? And they say, absolutely, he's king. Then I would say, is he ruling and reigning on the earth? Right. Does he have all power and all authority on the earth right now? They'd say, no, that would be the, the way you decide that. Right. Um, so uh, I, I kind of want to go ahead and get in a little into Daniel, um, because I think that we've kind of uh, introduced you know, your point of view um, introduced kind of this post-millennial view that, um, you know, post-millennialists believe that the millennial reign um, is – well, actually, I don't know if you define that. that what, so when is the millennial reign? So there's two major views on that for post-millennialism. Um, one is – and this is like uh, Jonathan Edwards had this point of view, excuse mm -hmm. me, <clears throat> that the millennial reign is literal and that it basically just lands at the very last thousand years before the second coming of Christ. Um, I would say the vast majority of post-millennialists today would view that – the, the word a thousand, which is where we get the millennial from, uh, is is a symbolic term. It, again, Matt, this is what's so exciting about studying the Bible. You have to understand that Revelation is a is written in prophetic language. Mm -hmm. you, again, you can't go to um, a news agency or your professor at your university. You have to go to the Bible to interpret right. prophetic language. If you want to know what the word mark means, you got to go to Genesis and start reading forward. If you want to know what a seal is, a trumpet, wilderness, these are thematic ideas. These are themes throughout scripture. If you want to know why Jesus is the true vine, then you have to understand the Garden of Eden, that there's always fruit bearing, that you aren't bearing fruit in my vineyard. Where's this fruit? I'm the true vine. So this is all this is all paradise lost, paradise restored idea of mm -hmm. I'm going to restore my my garden so that you can be in my garden with me. And so this theme, this this element of theme going through the Bible 
so you take the word thousand in Revelation, and people might be surprised to realize that the the idea of a future millennial reign only is found in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 5. And it's only mentioned three or four times that he reigns for a thousand years. And and I would just and I would just say that um, either it is the last thousand years before he returns. It's like some people call that a golden age, but the majority of postmillennialists today believe that the word thousand is, as you see it everywhere else in Scripture, in prophetic language, which means a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I would just ask your your viewers to consider: um, Does Jesus own the cattle on a thousand hills? Yes. Does Jesus does God own the cattle on a thousand and one hills? Yes. So right. it's not limited to a thousand. The idea there is that thousand means a lot. And that's the way that it's always understood in scripture. I would also point out, if you read it really slow, you'll notice in Revelation 20, and it's just in verses one through five, that it does not limit Jesus's reign to a thousand years. It's talking about those that are martyred. And it says that those that are martyred reign with him a thousand years. Mm. The emphasis of the time period is on the people that are martyred reigning with him. It doesn't say his reign is a thousand years. For example, when you hang out with uh, with us at our house, Matt, yeah, yeah. you could you could you could hang out with me for two hours. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that that's how long I've lived in my house. You're just rain, you're just hanging with me for two hours. The mm-hmm. ones that were martyred reign with him for a thousand years. So even even on its very basis in Revelation twenty, it doesn't say that Jesus' reign is a, is a thousand years only. So those are the points of view. Yeah, yeah. All right. So with all that in mind, let's look at uh, Daniel. Um, let me see if okay. I can pull, pull it up here on my uh, computer because I know I can share my screen. Okay. Mm-hmm. What um what version are you? I am I am using the NET. Sweet, um, I have it. Let's see if it'll. Hold on a second. All right. Is that is that working? Yep. Oh, on your oh, sorry, I wasn't looking. Oh, here it goes. Hold on a second. Boom. Oh, look at you, fancy man. Yeah, hold on a second. Let's maybe if I put us in the corner. Nope. Nobody puts baby in the corner. Here we go. <laughs> there we go. So Okay, right on. So Hey, there we go. Okay, so I want to start um, let's just start. And do you want? Do you think it'll be beneficial for us to read it from the beginning of nine, or just start at the at the seventy weeks in verse twenty? Uh, yeah, I don't think we have to start at the beginning of nine. It's it's. I mean, I think you can look at verse twenty one and get the context, and then we can head to twenty four. Okay, um, uh, that is one thing I wanted to do before we go reading. Let's let's actually talk about the sure. actual context of what's going on. Okay. So, uh, so, so introduce it for us. Um, we have, we have Daniel and he is kind of, uh, praying. Um, hold on a second. I got to figure out how to use this thing. Uh, 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 uh. There we go. We'll just do that. (laughs) So we have uh, Daniel and he, um, he is, he's in Babylon still. And, uh, he is, uh, interpreting, Jeremiah, and and he is going off of the stat. Was that a seventy week period? I think so. He's going. He's interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Okay. Yep. And he is um, just getting some prophecy. Um, that's both pretty terrible news for Nebuchadnezzar, but really good news for 
the Israelites. And, and okay. just to keep this as very simple as possible, is there's a Go series, there's a series of dreams and series of visions, I should say, that Daniel has. Um, and I mean, we can get into all of those another time, but trying to keep it as simple as possible. Um, and here is a, one of his visions in Daniel chapter nine. And basically, we've already learned that there's a successive kingdom coming. Um, and that Babylon now is a kingdom. They're going to mm -hmm. be overthrown by the Persian Mede Empire, uh, which is an inferior kingdom. And they're going to be overthrown by the Grecian Empire with Alexander the Great. They're going to be overthrown by the Roman Empire, who then is overthrown by the Messiah. Um, and we see in Daniel 2, there's a stone that's cut out of a mountain without hands crashes into this thing and it topples the kingdoms of the world over and this stone begins to grow which is pretty cool because uh peter calls us living stones so we're mm -hmm. like these little stones that are growing to this giant mountain as it says in daniel 2. Right. so in daniel 9 verse 21 uh just from the net here um he says yes while i was still praying the man gabriel whom I had seen previously in a vision was approaching me in my state of extreme weariness and around the time of the offering. So he's basically saying that Gabriel is uh, giving him instruction and speaking with him. So this uh, 24 through 27 is, and just, just so everybody understands, this is the only place that you're going to have to go to to understand Daniel's 70th week. This is where it is. So what we're looking at is, I mean, I want people to understand that where you're at with the seven-year tribulation um, is exactly what we're reading. You don't have to go any further because this is the only place it's mentioned. It is literally dependent on what we're reading right now. So I want to I want to read to you a quick quote before we start, Matt, because I have a warning for you and those that are listening. So if you want to know how important what we're reading right now is, you say, if this is so amazing, because what we're about to read, just so people know, is the most amazing prophecy you're ever going to hear. This is telling you to the point where Jesus comes in and is baptized, when mm -hmm. Jesus, that's his anointing, and then when Jesus dies on the cross, and then when Stephen dies in Acts chapter 7, all of these are are prophesied here. So you could actually know on the first first Jewish month of the 14th day that the Messiah is killed, not for himself, and that he makes an end of sacrifices. This is all this prophecy. So you say, well, if this is so clear and it's so amazing, why doesn't all of Israel just worship him as king? Don't they read the Old Testament? So the, the, um, the Jews today are learning from rabbis. They're not reading the Old Testament. They've right. determined that the Old Testament's too hard and that professional people named rabbis have come in and they've basically said, we're going to simplify this for you. You don't need yeah. to read it. We'll tell you what it says. So that's called rabbinical teaching from rabbis. I want to read to you a rabbinical curse. Um, that is from the Talmud Law, page 978, section 2, line 28, if anybody's interested. So this is the instruction that if you were reading the Talmud, you would hear concerning the passage that we're about to look at. May the bones of the hands and the bones of the fingers decay and decompose of him who turns the pages of the book of Daniel to find out the time of Daniel 9, 24 through 27, and may his memory rot off from the face of the earth forever. Okay? So I want you to 
I want you to uh, be aware, Matt, as we go on to here, that there's a curse being pronounced on you by the rabbis in Talmud, in the Talmud law. So wow. <laughs> fair, fair warning, <laughs> fair warning to all those. This is, a, in other words, there's a reason why they don't want us to look at this, okay? Because right. the Messiah is easily understood by what we're about to look at. So the rabbis have put a curse on anybody that would do what we're doing right now. So if you don't want the rabbis to curse you, you might want to turn this off. But uh, I think, I think you're, I'm going to roll the dice on this one. So I, I, I think we're okay. But that's, that's an interesting point, though, because you say, why, well, don't, why doesn't everybody know this? Well, yeah, well, well, to your point, too. Um, so uh, we actually – so last – I think it was last year um, we did a series about Advent and stuff like that. And we were actually talking about a rabbi um, just for some insight about you know uh, bread or something like that. Like what does it symbolize in Jewish culture, all that jazz like that. And one of the things he said, because we were quoting scripture to him and he would ask us, you know, well, where, where's that at? And we would have to tell him, you know, in Old Testament, you know, and um, and he said, well, that's one thing that Christians have over uh, the uh, Jews is that they actually know the Bible better because Jews are more familiar with the Talmud than they are the Torah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sad, right? It, yeah, 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 very sad. sad. And the, God gave his word to us. We should at least just take the time to read it. Yeah. So um, so I don't know how you want to do this, but what we can do is read a little bit, and then you can kind of just sure. keep, you know, go back and forth and talk about what we're reading. Sure. So basically, real quickly, there is a prophecy given here, starting in verse 24. Mm-hmm. That is a 490-year prophecy. You're going to see the word weeks in your Bible, but the word weeks here is a Hebrew word that just means a group of seven. It depends on the context to know a group of seven what. And in this context, the group of seven we're talking about is a group of seven years. Um, so this prophecy is four, is 70 times seven years long. And the math there is 490. So you're going to have to get out your calculator to figure out what's going on here. Yeah. And if you look on uh, – I don't know if you can see it on your screen right here, but I have the NET Bible pulled up on uh, netbible.org. And it actually has footnotes on the right-hand side of the screen. Okay. So, so if you go where it says 70 weeks, it has numbers 56 footnotes. And it says Hebrews 7, uh, seven. elsewhere the term is used of a literal week, a period of seven days. And then it has all mm-hmm. the different – uh, scriptures or you can look at that and then it says Gabriel unfolds the future as if it were a calendar of successive weeks most understand the reference here as 77s of years or a total of 490 years there you go good stuff so the question at hand is what is these what is this prophecy when did it start and mm-hmm. what's involved in it and when did it end and, and if, if people are just trying to get their mind wrapped around the significance of this um, uh, I know you just wanted to go over the biblical part of it, but I, right. if I, if I could just say real quickly, the issue is this, everybody agrees that 69 weeks have passed. So that's a hundred percent agreement. I don't know of anybody that doesn't agree with that. The issue is when does the 70th week happen? Mm-hmm. I'm going to present to you what I believe this is saying. And that I think the six, the 70th week follow the 69th week. I know crazy. Um, it's successive there. In other words, there's no gap in the text. And so I don't insert one. Right. So I was raised and I preached for many years that there is a gap between the 69th week and the 70th week. And that would be this parenthetical time period that you and I are living today and that the 70th week would be future. So just so everybody understands the significance of this, we're going to look and see what happens in this this 490 year period. And this last seven years of that. So basically from year 484 to 490 is the one in question. 
Okay. 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 Do you want to just go through it then? Yeah, let's do it. Verse 24, 70 weeks have been determined concerning your people, your holy city, to put an end to rebellion, to bring sin to completion, to atone for iniquity, to bring in perpetual righteousness, to seal up the the prophetic vision, and to anoint a most holy place. So so here we're learning that there's this list of things that are going to happen, and we know exactly who it's going to happen to, and we know where. So we know a lot. From the, the 70 weeks have right. been determined concerning your people. That's the mm-hmm. people of Israel. That's the Jewish people. So this is a prophecy concerning Jewish people. And you say, well, where does it take place? Well, it says right here, your holy city. And we mm-hmm. all know from reading the scriptures, that's Jerusalem. That's where the temple's at. And what is this 490-year period that's determined on Jerusalem in uh, to the Israelites, what's it going to do? That's the rest of verse 24. It's a whole list of things that this 490-year prophecy is going to do. It's going to um, put an end to rebellion, bring bring sin to completion, to atone for iniquity, bring in perpetual righteousness, seal up the prophetic vision, to anoint the a most holy place. Okay? So, so far so good? That's pretty easy, right? Yeah, so far so good. I wrote um, – because I was reading the commentary today, and I wrote down the six things that you just mentioned. Um, and just so – like if some people, you know, when you read to put an end to rebellion, and I know this is probably why you use the King James Version mostly, is because uh, the first one, you know, finished transgressions. Um, and then to put an end to sin, um, God will atone for wick- wickedness. Um, God will bring an everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, and then anoint the most holy. Yeah, I, 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 I use whatever version at this point, but I grew up using King James, and that's all I used for a lot of years until I started studying that too. But yeah. anyway, uh, I do appreciate the wording of it. I, I tend to go, you know, NKJV or ESV at this point, but right. Well, the reason I like NET, and, and we we've talked about this before, but because the online version has so many footnotes. There's yeah. so many notes, and that's what sure. I like. That's what I really like about it. I've always said the the best version is the one you're going to read. So if you just yeah. read something, that's probably the one you need to read. I don't know. Right. Um, but when you're doing a deep study with words, it's good to know some uh, some background stuff for lexicons. Right. So yeah. So those are the, those are the things that are going to happen in this 490 year period. Okay. Verse 25. So know and understand from the issuing of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Until an anointed one, a prince, arrives, there will be a period of seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will again be built with plaza and a moat, but in distressful times. So what's going on here? Well, we're going to get uh, an instruction or a command or a decree from somebody. Remember, at this time, Daniel is in Babylon and Israel is in captivity, in the, what we call the Babylonian captivity. Mm-hmm. So, and, and Israel's like in shambles at this point. So like you were talking about Jeremiah, the book of Lamentations is Jeremiah with a pe- with a piece of paper and a pen in his hand walking around Jerusalem just crying. That's mm-hmm. why Lamentations is just like a crying. He's called the weeping prophet. He's going around and he sees this this uh, marketplace that was once filled with people and and all this laughter and dancing and music and all of a sudden there's nobody there. There's dead people everywhere and he sees buildings torn down and and rubble and and smoke coming up. And so Daniel is saying, hey, there's going to be a command to go back and rebuild. So this is is what we're talking about. And so 
So he's saying, understand something that from the command to rebuild until this idea of an anointed one or the Messiah coming, um, this is going to be 69 weeks. You have one week and 62 weeks, so 69 weeks, mm-hmm. 483 years, in other words, because you have to times it by seven years. Right. So you're saying, okay, so we need to know when is the command to to rebuild. There's a couple of different ways you can try to figure this date out, and there's been some discussion on that. To simplify it for you for this evening, if you go to Ezra chapter 7, that's where I put it. Ezra chapter 7 is – Remember how I said earlier that Babylon was taken over by the the the, Mer- the Medes and Persian Empire. Mm-hmm. Well, the king of the Medes and Persians was King Artaxerxes. So he takes over the Babylonian Empire, and he basically gives a decree to Daniel and sa- to Ezra and says, "Go and rebuild the the temple in, or go rebuild the wall of Jerusalem." And he basically says, "Here's a blank check. You have access to my checking account in today's vernacular, and tell me if you need anything else." And so that's the decree to rebuild the wall. And so all we have to do is start a stopwatch at that point and let history roll. And in 483 years from then, we'll see the Messiah anointed. Simple as that. And so that's exactly what we see. So if you want to, if anybody wants to take the time, go to Ezra chapter seven, read through King Artaxerxes decree. And if you have a piece of paper and you want to start not, you know, writing this stuff down, 457 BC is the date of the instruction for Ezra to go rebuild the wall. That's the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem. Right. So does that make sense so far? That makes that makes sense to me. <laughs> cool. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> um, Hopefully, it makes sense to everybody else. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's 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 when you start the stopwatch. As soon as Ezra chapter seven happens, um, and I, I can defend why I would pick that date, but I, I think it's pretty well. Well, I think, I think, yeah, I think the text is pretty clear when it says, you know, um, where was it say from the issuing of the command to restore and rebuild the, the, the rebuild Jerusalem. I mean, when I was over, when we were over at your house, I immediately said, oh, that's when Ezra and Nehemiah began building, you know, the, the yeah. rebuilding the temple or re- and, rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. And even if people agree with what you just said, there was more than one command. And that's why I'm saying I could defend it because there's, you could probably go to three or four different quote unquote commands or decrees for them to rebuild the wall. But there was only one that was official with the checking account open and the King's going, anything you need, you tell me this one is different and checks different check boxes than the other one. So that big official one, I would, I would defend is 457 BC from King's King Artaxerxes as recorded in Ezra seven. Right. So, so, so far what, what we're talking about right now, does it track with a dispensational view? Like with mm-hmm. a dis- let's be like yeah that's you're totally right you're right no on. one would disagree with this so far yeah okay i okay. don't think <laughs> you don't think <laughs> uh, well there's some people that would say it's not 457 because see if you're a dispensational premillennial you don't really need it to be 457 it could be something else um because really the the 70th week is still future so it doesn't really matter in fact you would probably prefer it to not be 457 um because it helps your timeline of throwing off of throwing off the post-millennial or the 70 weeks fulfilled timeline Uh, as you're going to see from here if you forget everything you know grab a calculator and just go ahead and do some math on here you're going to see that this is a beautiful simple prophecy Hmm. so verse 26 says now after the 62 weeks an anointed one will be cut off and have nothing 
So this is talking about after the 60, the, the 60, the, we have seven weeks that went by and then 62 weeks. So we're at 69 weeks. Jesus is anointed Messiah. And I can show you all the passages of that later. He's baptized by John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. And then, then it says, uh, then he's cut off. Uh, and have nothing. Now, if you go over to the even the NKJV, it'll say Messiah. That's uh, that anoint, word anointed right there. If you look in your interlinear, that word anointed, it Messiah, Messiah, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself, which is of course the the gospel. Uh, Jesus right. is is the savior of the world. He he died on the cross for us. He didn't die on the cross for himself. Uh, Jesus was cut off from the land of the living, but not for himself. And so I would I would definitely uh, prefer not the NET there at that point. He's cut off, and but not for himself. It was for somebody else is the Hebrew wording there. Mm-hmm. So that's important. So after the 69 weeks, Jesus, the Messiah, is going to be cut off, but not for himself. As for the city and the, uh, and the sanctuary, the people of the coming prince will destroy them. So now we have two different people being talked about here. Um, and so we have Messiah being talked about. And a- again, Matt, I'm going to go to NKJV and tell you there's a semicolon after the word himself. And mm-hmm. NKJV says, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself, semicolon. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So now we have two people being talked about. Messiah being cut off, but not for himself. And then a different person, lowercase p, prince, that's going to come with an army and destroy the city. So, I mean, it, even the most casual reader of the Bible should know that there's an army that's Rome. Who, In other words, who destroyed who destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD? It was the Romans. Right. That's the, that's the answer here. So there's a prince that's leading them, not a capital P prince, but a person that's in charge of the Roman army. Um, sometimes an army in the Bible is referred to as a flood that's just coming in and like blitzkrieging this army just taken over and just kind of um, just going over and, and just destroying a nation as they take over it. And so this prince is going to come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. Um, and so it says here that as for the city and the sanctuary, the, the people of the coming prince will destroy them, but his end will come speedily like a flood. Um, until the end of the war that has been decreed, there will be destruction. Now, very importantly, the word desolations is used in the NKJV. The mm-hmm. end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. Um, so this is very, very important wording here. So the prince uh, that's coming in charge of an army is going to destroy Jerusalem and destroy the sanctuary. And the end of it will be with a flood. And the end of the war, desolations are determined. Desolations means there's nothing left, not some left, but it's totally desolate. It's it's gone. Mm. So um, w- at this point, we could jump over to the New Testament. And I guess for the sake of time, so we're not on this for three hours, I'll just right. just give you give your readers something to think about uh, as we're going through here, because it's important to note. That um, Mark chapter one verse fifteen says, "It's saying the time is fulfilled." There's an idea in the New Testament of a fulfillment of time. You say, "Well, what time is fulfilled?" Well, prophecies were reading. Jesus came and he's fulfilling a timetable. This answers so many questions. Like when Jesus heals people and he says, "Go to the temple, right? Get cleansed, 
but don't tell anybody I did this. See, Jesus mm-hmm. was not trying to gain followers on, on Facebook or social media. Jesus wasn't trying to gain popularity and fame. He, he was fulfilling something. John the Baptist looked at him and said, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was fulfilling a time period. And so he didn't want to be revealed as anything until the time was fulfilled. Galatians mm-hmm. 4, 4, when the fullness of time came. And so this is very important. Um, give you a couple of things just to consider. That was John 1, 29. Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. If you go to Acts chapter 10, verses 37 and 38, you're going to find out that it was at Jesus's baptism by John that the, that the father said, this is my son. He's anointed. It uses the word anointed there. So the anointing of Jesus was at his baptism. So these are all mm-hmm. really, really important points. Um, so we just needed to say that. There's a couple of things we could go to, but that's okay. We'll go back to um, go back to the Bible. So verse uh, 20, um, 27. 27. So this is it. This is the big moment, right? Mm-hmm. In this verse is up to this point, most everybody, I, I don't think I get much pushback on what I've said so far, but verse 27 is where almost the whole world is divided on this. And I would say um, most of the world thinks that what we're about to read has not happened yet. So I'm going to ask your re- your viewers and listeners um, to, to read this with me. And I'm going to ask them if they see in here the word future, if they see gap, if they see um, Antichrist, if they see tribulation, if they see Mark of the Beast, because uh, there's this is where we're getting this future seven-year tribulation from. So we just read in Daniel 9.26, there's 62 weeks. Jesus will be cut off. He's anointed. He's cut off, but not for himself. And the end of the city that he's in, Jerusalem, will end with the coming prince from an army destroying it. And so in verse 27, it says, he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. And Matt, as I've told you before in, in Bible study, this word he, this personal pronoun he, is the, is the point of all controversy. I believe the word he is coming back to the subject of verse number 26. So we would say the antecedent dramatically, the, the personal pronoun here has an antecedent. He, who, well, who are we talking about? Right. Well, I believe we're talking about Messiah. That's the subject matter of verse 26. If you read it that way, it says he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. When Jesus comes on the scene at his anointing, which is his baptism, that's AD 27. That is the 483rd year of the 490-year prophecy. So at the end of 62, uh, 69 weeks, Jesus is anointed as Messiah. He's baptized by John. And what does he say to his disciples? I'm here to make a covenant with you. This is the new covenant. Take, eat this drink of my blood, eat of this bread. This is my new covenant. This is my body, which is broken for you. I'm making a new covenant with you. He says it over and over and over again that he's making a new covenant. Mm. But look what it says in verse 27. But in the middle of that week, what week are we talking about? Now we're in the 70th week, the last seven-year period. So he makes a covenant with many, and in the middle of that last week, he will bring sacrifices and offerings to a halt. Mm-hmm. So halfway through this last seven-year period, in other words, between year 484 and 490, the last seven years, halfway through, the person who made an end to the sacrificial system will die. Right? So the Messiah right. is cut off, but not for himself. Jesus died for the sins of the world, and he makes an end 
to the Judaic age, the sacrificial system that the Levitical priesthood has been counting on for all of these years. If you don't read it this way, what you're forced to say as a pre premillennialist and as a specifically mm-hmm. pre-tribulational millennialist or dispensational eschatology, you're saying that the he here is antichrist. That he makes a covenant. This is the left behind series. This is what they're hinging on. It is it is absolutely a house of cards. And if if the word he here means antichrist, then they have a point. The word he here means Messiah. Look how cleanly it reads. Right. Jesus Jesus is is baptized in in year forty three. He's cut. There's seven. There's seven weeks left. Uh, seven years left. He dies halfway through, which we know Jesus' ministry was three and a half years. What did he do at his death? He ended the sacrificial system. John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Jesus completed. He fulfilled the law. He didn't destroy it. He fulfilled the law. Jesus was the final capstone of the Levitical priesthood. And, And Hebrews is all about this idea of him fulfilling the previous covenant and making a new and better covenant where he swears by no other name. So he swears by his own name so no one can mess it up. He is uniquely the one that wrote out a will and final testament, died, and then resurrected to have the ability and it was worthy to open his own will and New Testament. I mean, it's just it's that's the book of Revelation. Eh? That's the scrolls, right? The seals. So, so, um, so he's the one that made the sacrificial system to cease, right? On verse twenty-seven, on the wing. Of abominations will come one who destroys. Now we're, you see how we switch back to another subject matter here. Yep. Until the decree end is poured out on the one who destroys. And so we have this idea of Messiah, then false prince, then Messiah, then false prince. So um, if you want to think about it this way, we had Jesus coming. The last seven years we have Messiah cut off, not for himself. He makes an end of the sacrificial system. And then there's still three and a half years left, Matt, and this is the beautiful part of this thing. Jesus is ascended, Acts chapter 1, but we still have three and a half years left of the 490-year prophecy. Right. This is when your viewers and leader, uh, readers, uh, listeners, sorry. Readers. <laughs> yeah, maybe it'll be transcribed, right? Maybe. They need to go and read about this catchphrase to understand this, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus talked a ton about the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It'll be easier to understand this, to understand that Israel is not a nation like America. I'm American because I was born in Seattle, right? Um, You are not an Israelite because you were born in Beersheba. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and you have to be through the the bloodline of Jacob to be considered an Israelite. So we have all these words that are not interchangeable. A Hebrew is born somebody from the bloodline of Eber. A hmm. Jew is th- born through the bloodline of Judah. An Israelite is the born through the bloodline of Jacob. His name is changed to Israel. So Israel is a bloodline, not a nationality based on terrestrial terrain. This is such an important point here. Okay. So, so as Jesus says, there's this family he started with Abraham. I'm going to start a new family. Right. Just like in my family and in your family, some people believe in God. Some people don't. Some people believe in his sacrificial system. Some people don't. So we have this family called Israel. The ones who believe are called the Kahal. And, and that word is the same as the word Ecclesia. You're part of the believing remnant that believes in the sacrificial system. This family that follows 
from the base of Mount Horeb when the law was given to today. We're called the Ecclesia, slash Kahal is the Hebrew word. You have the believing family and the unbelieving family. That's why the kingdom divided. God's dividing out people who don't believe in him. Hey, this is a family of believers here, okay? Mm-hmm. Some in that family that didn't believe that he cut off, he actually caused a bill of divorcement. He divorced Israel. And so you. this is what Romans 7 is all about, Matt. If your readers want to go to Romans 7 at some point, because the point is, how can Jesus— be the husband or uh, we're the bride of Christ. How can he be the husband of this new covenant Right. if he divorced them? And so here's the point in Romans 7. Paul says that when you want to remarry, you can't if you if you're just divorced. If it, so he says, how do we how does how does this work? Well, if if the if the wife's husband dies, then she is free from the law and free to marry another. So you say, why did Jesus have to die? He had to die because he divorced Israel. And for Israel to be free to marry another, the husband had to die. And hmm. so that's that's Paul's point in, in Romans 7, is that when, when Jesus died, he, he resurrected, he became the last Adam. He's doing what Adam couldn't have done. He started basically a new race of people, if you want to say it that way, uh, one that's righteous, that's filled with the gospel. And now we're free from the law. Israel, the, the, the Israelites are free from the law because he divorced them, but he died. Now they can start looking for another husband, legally speaking. Well, that's, that's what, that's what Romans seven is all about. So during this time period of Jesus, it says 490 years, I'm coming after, remember what the decree was, Matt? It was on, upon your people. That's, that's Israel, the Jewish people and upon your city, Jerusalem. Okay. So halfway through the last seven years, Jesus dies, but there's three and a half years left. Acts chapter one, Jesus ascends into heaven. There's three and a half years left. So when we read Acts chapter one, we are reading the 487th year. So we have year AD 27, Jesus is baptized. That's the 483rd year. About AD 31, Jesus dies. And if you read the book of Acts, you're going to find Acts has three basic breakdowns. Mm-hmm. Acts chapters 1 through 8 are focused on Jerusalem, and that's the part we're really interested in. After that, it starts going into the uttermost parts of the earth. It goes into Judea, right. Samaria after that, and then the uttermost parts. These are the three breakdown of Acts. So you read the last three and a half years. So something else happened at the year 490 to conclude this thing. Very important moment, and it is the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Hmm. Stephen's a Grecian. He's a Greek-speaking Jew. And the gospel got to Stephen. Stephen died basically thinking he was a failure. Not much had happened at that point. Then Stephen gives this history of Israel in Acts chapter 7, and he dies completing the 490th year from the decree to rebuild the wall from King Artaxerxes. 490 years, he dies. What What was the decree on? Your people and upon your city. And if you go with me real quick to Acts chapter... Um, let's just go to Acts chapter seven, read the very end of it. And then we'll, we'll... Uh, yeah, hold on. Let me, sure. No problem. No problem. Cause this is really, really important. So this is year 490 and the decree is upon your people. So for three and a half years, Acts chapter one through seven is to the, is to Jerusalem. They're focused on Jerusalem. They're giving the gospel to Jerusalem, Jerusalem. It's the focus of everything. 
What verse are we in here? Uh, Acts chapter seven. You could you can look right at the well. Look at verse fifty eight. We'll start at fifty eight there. Okay. So um, so I switched over to uh, Bible Gateway, and I have NET on the left, and I have King James on the right. King James on the right. Which which one? I'll just go NET. It's okay. The only okay. time it was really specific is the wording for like desolate because NET takes that out. And the word desolate is easier to do a study because Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he says, I leave to you, your house desolate. Um, right. Luke chapter 21 says that if you want to know what the abomination of desolation is, you just know it when the, when the Roman armies are surrounding uh, Jerusalem, that's the abomination of desolation. So Luke makes it really like, you know, you can't miss it. Right. Okay. So that's why I wanted to make sure that that word abominations and decreed and so forth got in there. It also says Messiah, Messiah cut himself off, off, but not for himself. Right. But I don't think it'll matter the wording on this Acts chapter seven, verse 58 says, so Stephen is, is getting killed. Um, and he's just given a long history of Israel. When they had driven him out of the city, they began to stone him with uh, stone him, and the witnesses laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's the Apostle Paul for your listeners and, and viewers. The Apostle Paul is is in charge of, of 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 rounding up and murdering Christians or or trying to put them into prison because he felt like they were blasphemous towards the God of the Old Testament. So they're killing Stephen here, and they're like, "Look what we did! We have these bloody garments, and we're laying it at the feet of Paul, uh, Saul of Tarsus." So mm. that's just kind of interesting. Verse fifty-nine: They continued to stone Stephen while he prayed, "Lord Jesus, receive my spirit." Then he fell to his knees, cried with a loud voice, "Lord, do not hold this sin against them." When he had said this, he died right there, Matt. That's the end of four hundred and ninety-year prophecy. Hmm. That's it. That's year 80, uh, 31 AD right there. So if you want to go from 457 BC, and if somebody's trying to figure this out with a calculator and they're like, Ken, you're two years off, you got to remember <laughs> that in history, you don't have a year zero. So if you're reading it, it goes negative one or like one BC, one AD. So you're going to be two years off if you put a zero in there. Um, so so Stephen dies, 490 years is is completed. Then look at Acts chapter eight and verse number one. Hold on, I, I went. Uh, I went okay. back. <laughs> I could just read it, whatever you want. Well, I want people to see it. So then, sure, sure, yeah, for sure. And here we go. So, what did we just say? The prophecy on Jerusalem just ended. Four hundred and ninety years just ended. Messiah was already cut off. We're done with it. Unbelievably. The very next verse in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, has a bullseye here and says, And Saul agreed completely with killing him. Now on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and all, except the apostles, were forced to scatter throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Unbelievably, on a bullseye, um, the Bible says here that the Christians started spreading out out of Jerusalem. And from this moment on, the story was never about Jerusalem again. Hmm. So the 490 years was determined upon Jerusalem. God was faithful in bringing the gospel to those who he entrusted with the law, this family that he started. They rejected him as Messiah mostly, but some accepted him. And here we have in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that the gospel began going to Judea, Samaria. We have in Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus gets converted to become Paul, of, to Paul, the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 10, Peter has this vision of the, you know, when he's up there and he starts seeing this vision that God gives him and says, basically, don't tell anybody that they have, they're eating an unclean thing because anybody can eat whatever they want. Now we're in a brand new eon or age, and that is the Christ age that we're still in today. Right. So 
this this that I just presented um, is if you have let nobody teach you anything and just read it because there's no gaps in there. If you had just basically a, a stopwatch and start it right when King Artaxerxes gives the decree and just mm-hmm. let it play out. You get perfectly what I just said. And, and there'd be so much more detail. We could say why it's broken up with seven weeks, 62 weeks, one week. So that's all interesting, but we could, we can do that. Another. It gets just more detail, but it just gets, it's just is cooler. I mean, as you read it, it's amazing. Yeah. You, what, what you're just trying to do is you're trying to prove, because again, like you said, uh, a dispensational view, so a premillennial dispensationalist view would say that, well, we're, we haven't gone into the last week yet. Yes. So they would say this is so now that we've gone into this much detail, yeah, I want your listeners to understand, your viewers to know that if you're premillennial or you believe in a rapture that goes to heaven and there starts a seven year time period, that all hinges on the pronoun he from verse 27. It doesn't say it's Antichrist. The word Antichrist doesn't even appear in Revelation. It only appears in First John. It's only, it only five times in the whole Bible. It has nothing to do with it. Um, this future seven-year period all hinges on the word he, that pronoun he, which I believe the antecedent is from verse 26 on the word Messiah. Um, so, uh, and by the way, Matt, if you want to go to Matthew Henry, Andy Clark, Jameson Fawcett Brown, um, any of these guys, they don't even mention that there's a possibility it's anything else. They just say, Jesus confirmed a covenant with many. That's what he did. They just assume that verse 27, the he there is Messiah because that's right. just how it reads. Mm-hmm. So if you look at commentators before the middle of the 1800s, it was just about unanimous. There wasn't really much of a thought that that, that Jesus is the one that makes a covenant. Jesus is the one that dies halfway through it. And he's the one that makes the end of the sacrificial system. And if, if the premillennialists and pre-tribulational uh, people are, are folks are right, they have – think about this, Matt. How dangerous is this? They have some guy named the Antichrist making an end of the sacrificial system. So you say, why is that a big deal? Because there's no temple right now. Right. It was destroyed in 70 AD. Based on this verse and other verses like it, that's why we have this third temple – construction idea that's not mentioned in the scriptures anywhere right I challenge anybody to show me a clear teaching of a third temple they assume a third temple will have to be built why because they're saying here that the antichrist stops the sacrificial system is that the is this the only scripture that that even lends to a third temple being built i because, don't go ahead because because um again i you know like when I was first a Christian, you know, I would consider myself to have been a dispensationalist only because it was being taught from the pulpit. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, so I wouldn't. So, you know, when when the when our pastor would say, you know, hey, there's going to be a third temple built, I just kind of took his word for it. I didn't, you know, think about what scripture it would be. So, so as a, as a pastor for over 18 years, you would say that this is probably the only verse that mm-hmm. lends that. I wouldn't say that. I would say that you could go to Revelation where it says um, that that John is to go and measure the temple. As a pastor, I would have pointed to also that passage and say, see, there's a third temple built. But you have to assume that it doesn't say the second temple was destroyed, a third temple is built, go measure that. I just assumed that that one was a third temple based on my understanding of the framework I was reading. Now, now that I read it, I think that Revelation was written before the destruction of the temple. So John was just talking about a temple that was there. Right. Just as much proof for an early dating of Revelation as it is as much proof for a third temple that's going to be built. Okay. Okay. 
Um, I don't know where you're going after that. <laughs> I, just wanted to- I mean, I, don't, I, th- I think the point is that when you're reading um, very popular readings today, you know, David Jeremiah, you know, it, basically almost any, any teacher that you would associate with prophecy today, right. they are assuming that based on verse 27, I just want people to see how powerful and important this is, based on verse 27 and others like it, that if somebody is going to cause a sacrifice to cease, that is the Antichrist. Where are they going to have those sacrifices be at? The temple. Therefore, we need another temple to be built so that they can cause the sacrifices to cease in the temple because today there is no temple. So then we have people all over the world looking for the sign of Jesus' coming by trying to see if the temple is getting ready to be built. And I used to teach this. And you, it's almost like an emotional thing for a pastor. You know, slides up there. You know, clips from Fox News, clips from CNN. They're 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 starting to weave the garments for the priest for the priestly garments. To they're working on the furniture for the you know the time is close. The 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 temple is getting ready to be built. I taught that for years, and so this was proof that there's going to be a third temple and that the rapture is is any moment. Um, as you can tell, that you know it's it's a house of cards in my opinion. Oh, I can't hear you if you can hear me. Oh, hey, I had it muted. There it is. I had it muted. This Man, that'll do it every time. <laughs> Man, we were going so smooth. <laughs> we got it. But yeah, I mean, that that's, I don't know if you want to go into anything in more in depth on that, but that's, that's uh, the simplified version of just trying to do an overview of it. Right. And that's all I really wanted to do, because, again, this this, you know, this portion of scripture, it, it hinges a lot, you know, for any eschatological view. Yes, you know, I, I I think I think you, you you know, not it's not just that you have convinced me, but it's that, you know, um, I've heard a lot ever since I became a Christian. So, and, and, you know, and I've been a Christian for you know almost 20 years now. And so. I've you're always heard, you're old man. Oh man. <laughs> but I've always heard about, you know, D- Daniel 70 weeks um and then you hear about the Olivet discourse. Um you hear, you know, first, first uh was it first or second Thessalonians? Um you hear about those a lot, you know, that about the rapture and then you also mm-hmm. hear, you know, about of course revelation. Sure, um, sure. Um, I just didn't want to go into all that. That's why I was yeah, trying to pick I, just one thing. So, so much material, but I think we gave a pretty good overview. And I just, I just want people to also hear me say as we're closing up that this view I really like because it is a plain reading of the text. Right. It is exactly what it says. Um, if I were to tell you, Matt, um, 
you can drive to my house tomorrow. I live 70 miles from you. Right. And you say, okay, so that'll take me about an hour and 15 minutes depending on traffic. And I say, oh, goodness, no, it'll, it'll take you five days to get here. And you say, for 70 miles? And I go, well, yeah, I didn't tell you, but, but between the 69th and the 70th mile is 14,000 miles. You go, then it's not 70 miles, is it? And so to read a gap into something that's a stated time like this is, would, not be, would not be plain literal hermeneutics. You would need a spiritual guru to have a decoder right. ring to tell you that it's anything other than what it says. And that's something that I really challenge people with is the plain literal reading – you, so let's just uh, hypo, um, hypothetically say that I'm wrong in, in my uh, interpretation of this. Right. If I'm wrong, can you imagine how confusing that would be? I stand before the Lord one day and he says, Ken, why did you teach people so incorrectly on the 490-year prophecy? And I said, Lord, I thought it was 490 years because you told me it was 490 years. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, why did you think that? And I say, Lord, remember when Peter asked you how many times he should – Forgive his brethren, interestingly, right? The Israelites. And and Peter asked you seven times, and you said, no, 70 times seven. Mm. This is a very interesting number. Did that mean that that, um, it was uh, 483 with a gap? And then, then, no, it it was 70 times seven and 490, which is a a, a prophetic language way of saying – um, my grace is focused on these people for specifically a number 490. Mm-hmm. And I said, Lord, I, I, I wish I hadn't taught it wrong, but please tell me um, what I should have taught. And he said, Ken, you're so dumb. Don't you know that the, the 70 years was actually 69 with an indivisible gap that I never told anybody about. And then the rest was thousands and thousands of years later. And I said, but Lord, you said that you made a covenant with many because you're the antecedent of the personal, you know, no, 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 no. That's the antichrist. I said, Lord, where does it say that? And he said, well, it, it, I didn't say it, but you just have to kind of insert it into that. Don't you know that's going to be the mark of the beast? That's a vaccine, Ken. I'm like, but Lord, where does it say that? Right, and, right. And, and he goes, well, just uh, – so uh, this is my point, Matt. If you right. just read it, the plain literal reading, you start a stopwatch when it tells you to, and you stop it when it tells you to. This is what you have. Jesus anointed as Messiah. Jesus baptized on time. Jesus uh, gives his life, makes a covenant with many. He gives his life halfway through the end, but not for himself. Then you have three three and a half years, Acts chapter one through eight, focusing on the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Right on the button, the focus goes to Judea, Samaria. Paul is um, uh, converted into as the apostle Paul, and he's the Gentile to the whole world. That's what you right. have with the plain literal reading. If that's wrong, what a crazy ironic way to be wrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, so with that in mind, with with this view, uh, with that in mind, it almost makes Daniel not. I mean, it's it's not really prophecy. You know, it's it's a. Um, uh, I haven't even thought about this until now, but it is a very preterist thing. You know, this is prophecy that's already been fulfilled. Correct. You know, and that's why I would call myself a par- partial preterist. Partial, partial preterist. Meaning the second I, I would, coming. I would also call myself a partial preterist. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is – and by the way, there's so much we didn't get into because I don't want to make it too long. But right. know, da- Daniel said in there, know and understand. Uh, five times Gabriel says and Daniel tells us to know therefore and understand. Mm-hmm. To know and understand. This is information that Daniel is giving to the to the nation of Israel to understand something. Right. 
how could they have understood something that wasn't even for them? It was thousands and thousands of years in the future, and they didn't have all the information because you know they hadn't heard about Bill Gates yet. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, right? Yeah, lunacy. But then also with what you just said too, you would have to know as an Israelite, you know, you would have to know that there is this parenthetical thing that's going to happen, but you but you wouldn't be able to see it, right? You know, it, it would it would literally just be it would be telling you prophecy that you would just not you wouldn't you would never be able to understand. You couldn't verify it. Yeah. Right. So what uh, what does this leave us with that? What what this leaves us with is no future seven year tribulation period. So we can come back another time and talk through Matthew 24 or all of it discourse passages, because all of those tribulation passages, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 34 is going to happen in this generation. Those are right. also attributed to the future. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, cause me and Nikki are going through the, um, Ken Gentry, the, uh, revelation made easy. We're going through that. And his first two points, you know, is, is this book was written to uh, real people that really existed and they existed in the first century. Um, and that, and yeah. also that, uh, that John stated, you know, not just once or twice, but, you know, he bookended the whole, yeah book with these things are soon to pass shortly come to pass shortly come to pass uh coming soon you know book of revelation yep uh written to seven literal churches things that are shortly going to come to pass right right Mm -hmm. and and and, you know but that's the whole i mean it it is bound within the same context but again i just wanted to keep it to to daniel yeah absolutely yeah but yeah the implications are just massive on this though right yeah because then again like what i was saying and one thing i want to do is i've got a couple of viewers and if you know i would love to do q a but i don't want us to have to stick around for too long for people to ask questions um so if people do want to ask questions they can do it now while we're ending the chat and then hopefully we can get to it sure Um, if if folks watch it later and add it we can come back in a couple days or whatever yeah that would be cool too yeah um but what was i what was i saying uh, oh but uh the, you know for me it's profound that it kind of pushes daniel back into the the past you know it's this it's this prophetic book that you don't have to keep going you know well i want to know what happens in the future so let me go to daniel it's like no 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 daniel already happened daniel gives you a better context about the church now and the church mm-hmm. um and one thing would you say uh, so i was w- trying to prep for for our talk here, um, you hit most of the points that I was looking up. But one guy, w- one guy I was watching, you know, one way that people try to hinder points of view is they make they almost demonize your view, you know. And so one thing he say he kept saying is, "Well, that's replacement theology," you know, and that's kind of what this view sounds like and kind of takes. I've I've actually I would actually say that I believe in replacement theology. Um, what would, what would you say? Yeah. So usually people put this on a spectrum and they say you have, you know, dispensationalism, you have replacement theology, um, you have covenant theology and all this stuff. I find it to be much simpler than that. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't adhere to replacement theology by its definition, but what I would say is very simply this, and this is exactly why I said it the way I did, uh, because God started a family when he called Abram in Genesis 12. Okay, if you get that concept right there, you're way ahead of all the people on eschatology. You say, why is that important? Because part of that family believed God, mm-hmm. part of it didn't. Right. Just like our families, they they had a huge family. He said, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So this family 
was going to eventually bring about the Messiah. Say, okay, so the believing part of that family was was called the Kahal. The, the, the Greek word is called Ecclesia. Right. Okay. So in fact, if you use the, the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation from the Hebrew, it's called the Ecclesia all the way through the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So at the base of Mount Horeb, he says, gather together the nation of Israel. That gathering is called the Kahal the, slash Ecclesia. If folks don't know, that's where we get our word church from. Mm-hmm. So when in Acts chapter seven, if you read the whole thing, Stephen says that Moses had this prophet and it was this, this church in the wilderness, this Ecclesia in the wilderness. Right. So if you understand this, I am a family member of Abraham. I am a descendant of Abraham. You say, Ken, how is that possible? You're from Seattle. This is is what Galatians chapter three is about. You say, I thought, Ken, I thought you said it was a bloodline thing. It is. You see, Matt, a, a a blood descendant of Abraham gave his blood to me. Hmm. Okay, so once Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, then in Galatians chapter three, it says, if I'm in Christ, I am the heir of Abraham. Right. Okay, I'm of the seed, singular, Paul says, seed, singular, one seed, not many. This goes back to the Genesis 3.15 prophecy. So I have a very simple story. Mine is that a family was started. Some of my family has believed in God and some of them hasn't. That believing family has always been called the Ecclesia. Hmm. The Ecclesia came and it was dependent on a sacrifice. Sometimes they did it annually on the Day of Atonement. And that finally ended when the Lamb of God came and put an end to that line. But the family still had to believe in the sacrificial system, no matter where you were. We still have to believe in the sacrificial system. Jesus was the final sacrifice. So my family, some have believed and some haven't. I'm part of the believing family because Christ ties me to them. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm part of his fold. I know his voice. I hear him. And so he just simply ended the sacrificial system. He didn't start anything new. It's still by grace, by faith, through faith, right. by grace, through faith. And so nothing replaced anything. You just have part of a family that didn't believe. And they yeah. live in, they, we call them Israel today, national terrestrial Israel. But genetically, nobody today can trace back what tribe they're from. Right, right. You couldn't do that after the first century. Hmm. Oh, because they destroyed the temple, which probably destroyed all the records. All the records? You don't know what family you're from. And then they intermarried throughout the whole world. It says right there hmm. in Acts chapter 8. That's why it's so important. They, they, The believers in Acts 7 saw Stephen get toned, and they were freaked out, and they all ran as far as they could. And, it's, right. and, and essentially what God did is exactly what he said he would do in Matthew 21. He destroyed the, the, the Judaic age. <laughs> They're gone. It's over. Right. And then that also uh, with with, you know, within the New Testament, the grafting in as well to, to bring us into that family. Yeah. What does yeah. Paul say? He says there's no difference between Jew and Greek anymore. Right. There's no difference. male and female uh, free and bond. If you're in Christ, you're in Christ. You're part of the family. You're in the family. Why? Because yeah. the, the family is about belief. And it, once Christ shed his blood, I can get in through the bloodline. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm actually going to have a guest on next week, um, and we're actually going to talk about um, the 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 Zionism and Israel, and so that's going to be interesting. You yeah, know, this, and I think this all this all ties in with that, right? And that's yeah. I, I'm hoping to do uh, kind of a series like a, the, my next few guests because after that I have another guy, and we're going to talk about uh, the imagery of Daniel and how it coincides with the imagery in Revelation, and so you know I think it's going to be interesting. You know, to have this kind of series of eschatology cool. as, as my first, you know, go back into 
this matnews.biz. So nobody's asking any questions. Um, but I want I really wanted to show off this feature because look at the, like you can do this with this. Boom. Uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's real cool on my side. I can actually see them come up live too. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. Um well Ken, I re- I, I always love talking to you, man. Like yeah, yeah, I love talking to you too, bud. Yeah, man. And uh sorry we missed Bible study last Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have another one. Yeah. Um so I'm uh if if anybody wants to check out, you know, anything else you do, your your three uh your your three podcasts that you have right now, um go ahead and say those again. So so right now we're just advertising two, we're still working, we're getting another couple done and we're going to start a YouTube channel soon and we'll promote that soon, but you can find us at Bible Detox is the name of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, that's on every major platform and even some minor, not so known, known platforms. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, probably you can find us. We have a Facebook page, Bible Detox, and then also Bible Light, uh, L-I-G-H-T. Mm-hmm. There's, there's another podcast we do. So any counseling that anybody needs, we do counseling through our ministry. We've got a, we've got a, a team of people that can pray for anybody that needs that. So we're, we're here to help people with their walk with Christ and, and wherever they're at with their journey. Cool. Well, Ken, I just want to uh, tell you, I appreciate, um, again, I love it anytime I talk to you. And uh, you really, um, one thing I want out of mattnews.biz is just to present uh, views that aren't necessarily the norm, you know, and, and really give those a little bit of light so that people can actually have more to think about, right? Amen. Just what's what's presented to them, you know, yep. all, all the time. Amen. Uh, and so uh, again, thank you for coming on and I'll, I'll be talking to you later. And pleasure, so man. Anytime, right. anytime, yeah, man. Um, so uh, all you guys, thank you for tuning in today. Um, I had a few viewers come in and out and I really appreciate it. Uh, I love you guys and hopefully you'll be joining me next Tuesday at 8 PM. Uh, we're also going to be starting our Bible study back up. I don't know if I'm going to be doing that on Thursdays or whatnot. I'm really just trying to figure out my schedule and everything. And then once I do that, you'll see those live streams pop up again as well. And we'll be just doing like an hour of Bible study, um, every week alongside of mattnews.biz, which is this format me um just going around and talking with different people about different views and really hoping hoping to expand people's horizons and again i don't want to push certain points of view but i want to present them and allow people to make those choices so